Hi there, it's Nick here. Thanks so much for your continued support of the Nick Luck Daily Podcast. Wherever you consume your podcast, it is great to have you with us. I would alert you again to the racing app which is your one-stop shop and the easiest place now to download the show each and every morning as soon as it's ready. Many of you are doing so already, and that's not just because you can get access to all 880 episodes of this show, and very easily as well, but you can also watch live races. You can watch all the replays, and you can stream in the card with an active Fitstairs account. So do download it now, uh, the racing app. It's your one-stop shop and you will be able to catch up on all the previous episodes of your favourite daily racing podcast. You're listening to Nick Luck Daily. This edition is brought to you by Fitzdares, by the Racehorse Owners Association, and by Thoroughbred Racing Commentaries Global Rankings. Good morning. Welcome to the show. It's Friday, the 29th of December, and quite a pleasant day here in TW11, and certainly no sign of a cold snap during uh, Christmas, even though it's been fairly damp everywhere. Uh, Ireland has very much taken centre stage the last couple of days, and there was something weirdly prophetic about yesterday's podcast, because we began by talking about whether Galapin Deschamps would gallop his way back to hot Gold Cup favouritism, which indeed he did in some style, Jerry Colomba distance second in the Savills chase. But I ended it by musing as to whether the Faheen Novices chase at Limerick might end up being the most impactful race of the day. Uh, and I was kind of right, because even though you could have thought that today's episode would be about Mullins versus Mullins, Stateman versus Ampere Pass in this afternoon's Matheson Hurdle at Leopardstown, it's in fact about Mullins versus Mullins, Patrick and Danny, uh, we'll hear from one of them in a few moments' time. Lydia Hislop is alongside me today and is going to tell you, first of all, what happened. OK, so we're at Limerick for the Faheen Novices Chase and on the downhill right-handed roll round the bend into the straight towards the second last, uh, Patrick, who was on Gaelic Warrior, had evidently got a breather into the face and leader, meaning he'd gone from having a solo lead to three of his rivals bunched up around him. Gaelic Warrior was at least a, a one and a half horse widths off the inside rail. And his cousin Danny Mullins on the stable mate Eletted Tom was exploring a run up his inner as they exited the bend. Patrick then appeared to manoeuvre back right, pushing Eletted Tom off the inside line towards the second last. Danny Mullins was strenuously trying to keep his horse back on track to jump the fence and not run out to the right of the wing. Eventually, they both jumped it OK, although predictably Gaelic Warrior jumped right and didn't give Eletaton much room and he lost some ground at the fence with a far less fluent jump. Gaelic Warrior went on to win the race impressively by five and a half lengths. But as the horses eased up past the line, Patrick waited for Danny mm. and then stood up in his irons, pointing <laughs> angrily and clearly shouting. There was... And this couldn't be mistaken. This was clear remonstration. It was remonstration. Of, 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 yeah, clear remonstration, I think, is a good way of describing it. And after the race... Uh, let, uh, let's, well, let's hear what he had to say after this, because he was questioned okay. by Racing TV's Fran Berry as to, yeah. what, uh, as to what was going on there. And this is what Patrick Mullen said. Yeah, I'm trying to drop my lad, get him back a bit, get a breather into him. Um, I told Danny, Danny was going out and says, there will be a gap on my inside second last. Do not come for it. He hasn't listened to me. Um, luckily, he hasn't got the two of his beat. Um, but it didn't matter. And that, of course, is quite 
uh, an unusual expression of uh, frankness, which then set the hairs running, Lydia. So what happened next? Well, it, it, it's kind of divergent after that. The stewards held an inquiry looking into the incident in the race. And in evidence in this first inquiry, Danny Mullen stated he felt there was enough room after the bend to challenge on the inside of Gaelic Warrior. But his mount leaned right and Gaelic Warrior seemed to follow him on the approach to the second last, causing him to switch back left. Mr Patrick Mullen stated he had held the inside line throughout and on rounding the bend, he was simply riding a straight line towards the wing of the second last. Having reviewed having viewed the recording of the race and considered the evidence, the stewards took no further action. So as far as the race day stewards were concerned, that was that. However, of course, as you've just said, Patrick Mullins had given that interview to Fran Berry on Racing TV and the Racing Post quoted him and that went online and the Racing TV clip went online and everybody began to comment on, as you say, the unusual level of frankness that Patrick Mullins had spoken with. So the, hasty, the race day stewards hastily reconvened another inquiry and this was billed as regarding comments made to the media about an incident on the run to the second last and the notice reads, Mr Patrick Mullins stated that he advised Danny Mullins during a conversation prior to the race that he would be leaving a gap down the inner to get a breather into his horse and he advised him not to go for it. Danny Mullins confirmed the conversation happened as such. Has it, having considered all the evidence, the race day stewards referred the matter on to a senior racing official. OK, OK. So now there's a, a an interesting point of semantics here, but a, an important one that Mr. P.W. Mullins, uh, Patrick Mullins, has asked me to uh, clarify. So I did speak to him this morning and we had quite a long chat um, and he was definitely taking this seriously. Um, but also realizing why it was a, a because he's a he's a clever guy. He was realizing why it, it's created a bit of a media storm. He did, however, want me to point out that he didn't say uh, he would leave a gap. That he said to Danny Mullins, "There will be a gap coming to the second last. Don't try and go for it." That being because of the 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 racing line to that fence. And it's it it's being a floating fence where the rail runs out. There will be a gap there. There will naturally be a gap there. Don't try and go for it. I mean, his take on it is that that is because uh, he would then angle to the inside. He would have more horse under him. He was trying to foresee who might be the only horse there in a position to challenge. Uh, we'll discuss the motivation for that in a little while. But he he definitely wanted to clear that up. Shall we hear from from Danny Mullins now? Uh, do because there's a there's a, a, a several points in this interview where I I uh, I laughed out loud just just because uh, the it it's because of the the various uh, hairs that have been set running uh, as a result of this happening and I think it's right that we're having this conversation because and it's right that we're having this conversation in a nuanced way because there are some black and white points at the centre of it but there's also some nuance around of it so you know cue Danny Mullins here we go. A gap appeared on the rail and yeah, I had plenty of horse underneath me, so I was gonna roll my roll my dice and have a go at winning the race. So what Patrick said after the race, which was that he told you that he was gonna leave space to and absolutely not to try and go up his inner. What did you think when he said that? Well, initially I, I wouldn't have been planning to go up Gaelic Warriors inside. He, I, I followed him around Punchestown. He jumped quite right that day as well. But as the race was going on yesterday up the back straight, he was jumping fairly straight uh, from my eyes where I could see it from behind. 
And so while my initial plan would have been to be down his outside, uh, when, you know, as the race developed, uh, I just ended up in the position and you, you make a split second decision and you, you have a go at winning. So there was no part of you that thought, right, well, he's told me to do one thing, so I'll I'll do the opposite because he wanted to get a bit of a, an advantage on me in a kind of gamesmanship sense. Now I need to improvise and try and use my nous to, to 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 do my best for my horse. Not really. Like uh, if if Gaelic Warrior hadn't improved with his jumping the way he did from Punchestown, it would have been stupid of me to be down his inside. So that would have disimproved my chance. But as I'm looking at him all the way up the back straight, I think I jumped the first in the back straight. Uh, tree wide and then the two guys in front of me have moved towards the middle of the track so at that point I've switched in and started to jump very well and as I'm watching the ones in front of me they're not jumping alarmingly right as some horses can and I thought uh, at that stage I was happy where I was and then just the, the race developed as it did. So that's it from a from a riding point of view uh, when you started to come into that uh, that that fence were you were you a little bit alarmed when when Patrick started manoeuvring Gaelic Warrior right-handed to try and squeeze you out? No, no. <laughs> you you were always confident that you were going to get a, get get there and you weren't going to go through the wing or anything like that. No, no, there was, there was never a doubt of that. You know, the, there was enough time there to to think and you know, I I was riding to win. Uh, if I went out through the wing. There was no chance I was going to win. Yeah, no, I get it. So what a lot of people are going to be fixated on is this idea that, that jockeys discuss what's going to happen in a race before a race happens, and therefore it undermines the you know, the integrity of the race. Can you put a little bit of perspective on that from, from your point of view? You know, even tactically looking at every race I ride in, I, I try and you know look at horses form and all of that and what horses are, are going to do early in a race but uh you know by the time you get to a point to where the race is on it's reaction and you don't have an appetite to give up at that stage so it's just simply do your best on your horse at any given time and not to hell with the consequences but your instincts take over that's it. When it comes to that point for a race, you know, a jockey's got to have an appetite. And what about the race itself? I mean, Il Teton is a a good horse. Clearly, Gaelic Warrior is a horse with a, a massive engine. What what did you make of the the race as a whole? I thought it, it was uh, it was a definitely up to Grade One standard. Great, uh, Gaelic Warrior had improved from Punchestown, which you know that was visually very impressive in Pontchastown but he probably needed to answer a few questions which he did yesterday and Ile Tatum ran to a fair level as well on, on very deep ground which for a horse of his size might not be him at his best so you know, last year he proved before he'd won his grade one that he was a genuine grade one horse and I think he proved that as a novice chaser yesterday and looking forward to possibly a Dublin festival or Cheltenham on slightly better ground. You'd have to think uh, there's scope for a little bit of improvement there. 
I mean, as for Gaelic Warrior, he looks a he looks a proper one going going right handed. Is he good enough to get away with it left handed at a Cheltenham or a DRF or something like that? Do you think? I think he will, and you know, yesterday he was a lot more polished. Um, but I think like he he's got unbelievable ability, and yeah, I think he has a good chance. You know all the times when he was jumping right were over hurdles and you look at Ile Tetombe over hurdles as well he maybe lacked some respect for a hurdle which he shows great respect for a fence and I think after Gaelic Warrior made a few mistakes in Punchestown he was very polished and he made maybe one mistake at the third yesterday just over jumped and seems to be really showing his intelligence how he's learning from that uh, I think over fences now, Cheltenham won't be an issue, and he, I'd be I'd be thinking he's a big chance of uh, righting the wrong in Cheltenham this year. Uh, now you are riding again um, a pretty good horse for the same owners. It's the Keysvetters Barn and Stud uh, Echoes in Rain this afternoon in the four runner Matheson Hurdle. Any chance of upsetting the big two? Do you think? I wouldn't put it past her. You know, she's she's not a no hoper in the race. Uh, she. She ran a solid race in maybe a little bit of a messy, well, not messy, but just probably steadily run um, race in Punchestown to Morgiana, was it? Um, and was only beat five lengths uh, by by statement. So I, I think she's a bit similar to Ilita Tom, you know, competing at that level. It probably needs a bit of luck, but it can happen. I... I I'd be going out there uh, with uh, a bit of hope, definitely. But the other two, you know, they're they're very good horses. Impera Pass uh, probably just needed to run in Fairy House. I don't, for me, he lost nothing in defeat that day. And Stateman was the usual Stateman. And Constitution Hill is the only one to get the better of him. So he sets his own standard. And uh, it's going to be a proper informative race. Now, you said on your tote blog last night that when asked what Patrick was saying to you after the race and was remonstrating with you quite quite forcibly, you 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 said that he was telling you to get a haircut, and then you said, "Well, I'm not going to get a haircut because I never do what I, what I'm told." Um, what did he really say to you? I don't recall. Your memory has amazingly just taken a taken a turn for the worse. Um, is, is it? Do you think? Do you think if you're related to someone, is, is things like this, you, you you know how at Christmas, if we're sitting around with all our relatives, uh, we tend to speak a bit more freely than we would to to just our our work colleagues. Does that does that ever come into it, or when you're on the race course, are you just um, are you just D Mullins and Mr P W Mullins? I think if you sat down at any dinner table with a, a bunch of Mullinses, you'd know we speak freely to each other. But once you get on the back of a race, horses were jockey. Okay. We're jockeys, yeah. So we'll, we'll always compete once we're, we're on the track. Okay. And, and Willie said, my son and my nephew tried to kill each other on the, uh, on the race course yesterday. Uh, I doubt they shared the same car home. Uh, was he right? He was, he was myself, myself and Brendan, my driver, were, were heading home together. Brendan said, if anyone comes near us, he'll still mind me. <laughs> All right, thanks for your time this morning. Good luck later. Thank you. Uh, Danny Mullins there. Uh, you'd have to be really po-faced not to see the funny side of quite a lot of this. Um, but and one thing Danny Mullins is definitely not, Lydia, is, is po-faced.
No, indeed. Uh, what do you think my favourite bit was? Uh, well, I <laughs> when he accidentally for forgot what 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 Patrick had said to him, even though he very clearly recalled every other aspect of the race. Was it that one? Well, I mean, that was that was very sort of you know, uh, uh, pres president. I don't recall. <laughs> I don't recall on the stand, wasn't it? Uh, the the bit about um, Willie Mullins being right that they didn't share the same car ho car home. No, my favourite bit was when you asked. Were you a little bit alarmed when Patrick started manoeuvring Gaelic Warrior right-handed to try and squeeze you out? Long pause. <laughs> That's when I started laughing. And then, <laughs> no, no, from Danny Mullins. <laughs> well, I mean, I'm sure Patrick's conjecture would be that he wasn't trying to squeeze him out. He was simply riding his own race and Danny was an idiot to go on the inside. And of course, you know, if, if none of the aftermath had happened, that would be the only question, wouldn't it? Was he right to go there? Wasn't he right to go there? It would be. I mean, my observation would be that the evidence given in the stewards room doesn't appear to be supported by the video evidence, which should be primary. I mean, the tracks of the horse's hooves in the heavy turf demonstrate that that the, it wasn't a straight line from the second last to the bend. Um, and so, you know, I, 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 but obviously you also expect jockeys to... Um, primarily fight their position in this in the stewards inquiry but also there is a, a level of unwritten camaraderie isn't there where uh people where jockeys you see it all the time um seek not to make more of something than there already is um and whether or not it's wise for danny mullins to have challenged at the inside of a superior horse that jumps right-handed is another matter the the key overriding point here and the reason why this has ended up being such a, a point of uh, contention and discussion uh, amongst the media, but also amongst the public. I mean, it can be you know very easily dismissed as a media storm, inverted commas. But this is fans of horse racing reacting to something that happened on the race course and then was amplified by comments subsequently. So, you know, Patrick Mullers, we all say things when we are angry and I'm sure he was still um, angry when he was in interview and uh, perhaps he'll be feeling a little bit rueful this morning you'll know better than me but in that interview how he came across to the general public would have been as rather entitled and he seeming to have forgotten that he is taking part in a public and professional sport on which people bet and for which there are rules about team tactics and in that interview Patrick Mullins appeared to think it was acceptable to demand that a fellow competitor, and I know he's he's talking that, that he meant this in a different way, but that's how it came across, or whoever who is riding against him, whoever he or she might be, not to take an entirely valid line and to ride instead to his requirements. Um, you know, it, 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 this this is not okay, <laughs> and and it, it's not okay to 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 do it i.e for there to be team tactics there are rules governing that i mean for goodness sake only four weeks ago we were discussing the flip side to this coin where sam ewing was given a five-day ban by stewards in the morgiana hurdle because the stewards perceived that he had made a maneuver that had advantage a stable companion so that this is an active topic for stewards in ireland at the moment so you know the rules say it's not okay to do it the fairness of sport, level playing field, says it's not OK to do it, whether or not it's your stable companion, your cousin, whoever it is. Um, and what, the good thing about this is that what actually played out was the opposite of that uh, compared to what Patrick Mullins said on, on TV. But the point is, it, it didn't reflect well on Patrick. It didn't reflect well on the Mullins operation. 
in terms of what Patrick said, happily, what actually happened on the track mm. did. All right. Well, Craig Keysvetter, as well as being a, a fairly regular contributor to this uh, to this podcast for his sins, is also happens to be the owner of Ilete Ton and Echoes in Raining, who who runs this afternoon. But from your perspective as an owner, Craig, you were watching on from from Cape Town yesterday as uh, as Danny made his move. What what are you thinking? What do you think is the is the right thing to do in those circumstances? Um, it's it's certainly an interesting one. That's created quite a bit of debate over the last sort of 16 hours really or, or, or 24 hours but um, from look from from our from our perspective and I, I chatted to obviously the the partners in the horse um, you know we, we as, as an owner and as as a fan we want the horse or, or horses to be ridden out to win and to be given every chance and the jockey to go into the race um, trying to win, you know, we've we've seen stranger things happen in in racing where a hundred to one shot can beat a very strong favourite. So um, it's certainly created some drama and some debate. And um, I certainly, you know, like Willie Willie Mullen said, I, w- I wouldn't want to be in that car journey on the way home with the two of them. And you know, Ilete Ton, in fact, has upset the apple cart more than once. He's 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 emerged on top and beaten a better fancied Mullins stable companion in in big races before. Um, you're a you're a professional sportsman. You understand the idea that the game needs to be not just uh, clean, but seem to be clean at the same time. Particularly when you've got multiple horses from the from the same yard. So that wouldn't that wouldn't have escaped your notice as a as an owner. How how much do you need to be reassured that that every every horse is is running to it to his or her merits? Yeah, you know the I think. It- not just in horse racing, but in sport or, or life in general, but especially in sport, the whole concept and excitement of it is that you have an underdog and a favourite, and you're having people or horses or teams or whatever um, competing and taking each other on. And, and we've seen in, in all sports and in all um, facets of, of, of horse racing that there can be upsets. You know, um, we were very fortunate where Elite Tomp took down Fassel Vega, who's a phenomenal horse as well, um, as, a, as an underdog. And, you know, yesterday was potentially another another chance. You know, Gaelic Warriors is a very, very good horse um, and deserves the win. But I thought it's maybe a little cheeky from Patrick to try and dictate to Danny about how, how to ride his horse when when Danny's got his own horse to ride. And he's riding for for Bonan Stud and the partners and, and Ilete Tom. So... You know, I hope um, I hope it gets sorted, obviously, and, and that um, a line gets drawn through it fairly quickly. But from our side, it's it's we were more than happy with the way Danny rode. You know, he, he rode to win, um, and that's what we want. That's the whole point of the game. All right, that's Craig Kiesvetter, who uh, co-owns Ilete Tant and in uh, different colours, but he also owns Echoes in Rain, who's running later today. Um, so what did you make of that? He pretty much said what what you'd said. Yeah, in, in so many words. I mean, I, I think he, I think I said, I think he said it more succinctly, and also from the perspective of um, being an owner at the Mullins Yard, he, as he said, I mean, he's a professional sports person, so he understands that there are there are the rules, but there's also the practicalities of working within those rules when you are the professional sports person. But he's talking from the perspective of a being a sports person and b being um, an owner of Tom, the horse that was involved in this. And he said it was a little, little cheeky from Patrick to try to dictate to Danny how to ride his horse. And that's what I mean about it not reflecting well, not reflecting well 
that interview on on Patrick or on the Mullins operation. So uh, and clearly, um, Craig felt the same kind of way. But you know, you know the, the point, overriding point, is that the public on which this sport hugely, if not fundamentally, relies. Uh, on their betting income, income from their betting, they need to believe that this sport has integrity and is run with probity. And anything that is seen to undermine that is bad news for the sport. And that is what happened in that interview. One of my earliest memories of going racing as a child was um, the multiple champion jockey, Peter Scudamore, who was absolutely um, cock of the roost at the time forcing Bruce Dowling through the wings at Newbury when Dowling had tried to nip up his inside. So I thought, who better to talk to than Skew this morning to get a perspective on Mullins on Mullins at, uh, at Limerick yesterday? Who was right, Skew? Danny for going up the uh, up the inside or Patrick for saying uh, no thanks? I, I, I think Danny was perfectly entitled to go up there. Patrick was on the better horses and was entitled to close the door. I think the stupidity of the act is the argument in public and you're better to impose your will in the weighing room behind closed doors, I think. Uh, you made an interesting point to me when we were speaking some time ago about uh, jockeys um, imposing their their character on a race. And I, I wondered to what extent you thought this was a an example of that in terms of a, a pecking order or a degree of seniority obviously complicated in this case because um, Patrick, albeit an, an amateur in technicality only, adopts a senior position within the stable he's riding for and it's a stable first string. So there's all sorts of interconnecting strands here. Absolutely. Um, so Patrick is a champion. He, you, you put it so well that he's, you know, he's all but a, a professional. And if you watch, in today's world, if you watch Brian Hughes... He, he he runs the inner, you know. He you, you think how the hell does he, he he get that run? It's because he's champion. It's because you impose your character, and I think it's a little. It's the law of the jungle. What you know, the the leader of the pack, he he dominates the the cub until the cub comes along and they have a fight until to see who's who's top dog again. So. Um, that that's what happens, and uh, Patrick is imposing his will, which is what champions do. Uh, I just don't think it was wise. I don't think people would be talking about this if the that the argument hadn't been on the film afterwards. Um, l- let me let me ask you this: um, the, the the furor has has been oxygenated not just from the what was what was seen afterwards on camera but what was heard from Patrick when he said I told Danny before the race not to come up my inside and he didn't listen to me so that's thrown up a a couple of things there uh first off people will be rightly concerned that that jockeys discuss tactics and therefore uh, minds will race and people say well hang on a minute are they are they preempting the result are they fixing the result before before they go out there and of course that that is further fueled by the fact that the two horses come from the from from the same stable um can you can you shed any light on that from a from an experienced rider's point of view i.e the extent to which jockeys a do and b should discuss uh, outcomes and eventualities and possibilities before the race is actually run so I would say in normal races, a normal race day, 
you'd speak in the waiting room and you would say, look, I'm going to make it. Um, you know, please, you know, don't take me on. So, you know, so when I, when the jockey comes in the packet and talks to me and I'll say, well, what, you know, what's that? No, well, he's, they'll let me make it. You know, so there is, now whether that's right or wrong or not, I've just said that's what happens. Is, is that is that in a spirit of cooperation, or are you trying to get a psychological edge? So is that saying right? Well, uh, let's all be a little be- bit of both. A little bit of both. So if somebody comes up to you and says, "Look, this 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 runs away. Please don't take me on." He's appealing to you on a safety factor, isn't it? Now, if he's kidding you, you you so you've got to work that out. That's all the psych constant psychology. Of horse racing and and, and the psychology in other sport as well, isn't it? Um, it, So that's right. But I always think it's that's taking it further when you get to Chelsea. So when you get down to, we're going to Kelso today, there's, you know, there's two, most races, there's two, possibly three horses with chances. I mean, it's just the reality and, and, and the betting will reflect that. So the intensity of the race. Is, is is not as great as when you get under Cheltenham. So that's the intensity of some of the big races, the Cheltenham. That's the difference when you go to somewhere like Cheltenham. When you get to Cheltenham, there's probably 10 with a chance and five others that think they've got the chance. So nobody's good. You can't say into the waiting room there, oh, look, you know, just give me a bit of room. Mine jumps left-handed. Just have, that, that there's no quarter given, no quarter asked. So that's, that's why I sometimes think you get different results at Cheltenham than you do um, at... At other race courses, because the intensity is different. Racing, we talk about style and strength, and it's all about position, isn't it? Position, position, position. So understanding the pace of the race means you get the right position. So that's why jockeys talk as they come into the way, as they in the way, and what you're going to do. They then discuss the tactics with the trainer, and then they go out try and carry them out. The one and only Skew, Peter Skewdemore. Well, of course, he's not the one and only Skew, but you know what I mean. Uh, <laughs> Lydia Lydia Hislop is with me. Um, and uh, you know when you, you get the how many winners have you ridden thing and you, you feel you can comment on most things, but there's some occasions where you do actually need some some real insight and expertise from uh, someone who's, who's been in that position, has enough distance from it to to really to really be able to to tell you how how it is. I, I enjoyed that very much. Yeah, so did I. I thought it was absolutely brilliant and really insightful from, from Peter Scudamore. And this is what I meant earlier when I was saying there are some central basic tenets about integrity, fairness in sport, level playing field. But then around that, there are some nuanced conversations. And I think that Peter Scudamore has expressed this uh, really well. I don't agree with him that it was better that this had happened behind closed doors. I mean, yes and no. In in some ways, it's refreshing and helpful, ultimately, hopefully, as long as everybody behave, responds in a good way to what has happened, you know, I, I mean, within the sport, that we are having this uh, nuanced, wider conversation, as well as talking about the central tenets of integrity. Um it was interesting his point about who runs the inside. This was something that came out during the Robbie Dunn inquiry about whether amateurs, women, perceived lesser riders, whoever are inverted commas, allowed the inside. And um, I also think that this incident would have been discussed because there was a race riding incident for everybody to see, regardless of the interview. However, the interview is what has incredibly amplified what has been discussed since and has added another layer of conversation onto the whole incident. 
I particularly liked his examination of whether, um, if you talked about the race beforehand, you were trying to be mm. um, collegiate and mm. sensible and looking after the safety of your fellow riders and the extent to which, in fact, it was a bit of gamesmanship. And he conceded it was a little bit of both. And then you had to work out which bit was which and and act accordingly you know it might have been gamesmanship from patrick mullins to say right there'll be there will be a gap there don't go for it because he didn't want danny mullins to get an advantage and slip up his inner but it might have been because he felt that it would it would be a, a, a bit reckless and a bit dangerous and he'd have more horse underneath him so yeah, danny mullins says has to intuit which that is and if he's there and thinks well i've got a little bit of a chance to hell with you agreed but there is also the level of uh, who feels entitled enough to be able to defy um, instructions, advice, uh, warnings from senior riders in order to be able to ride their own race. And that depends on seniority. It depends on strength of character. It depends on how secure you feel in your position in your job. So there are a whole different levels of nuance in all this which are all played out within the microcosm of a horse race it's got absolutely everything this hasn't it it's got um implications for for integrity team tactics and so forth it's got um family relationships interpersonal relationships relationships within yards who's the senior rider out of the two mm. uh, and and that's before you even start with whether it was a whether it was a decent maneuver or not plus all the the aspects of um weighing room psychology and and all the funny bits as well it's got everything i think it has and in all seriousness i think it's it's all of those things it is it is it is serious at its heart there are some funny elements to it um and it goes to the heart i think this conversation of uh what people perceive about horse racing uh, but also how there should always be a more nuanced conversation around that central black and white and insanely, we've spent all this time talking about that, but it has been fun to do so. Uh, <laughs> and uh, Galapande Deschamps, and I did, I did point this out to Patrick when I spoke to him this morning. You managed to managed to take Galapande Deschamps off off the, the first fifteen minutes of this podcast, or however long it's been. Um, I think I got a sort of week a week giggle down the phone, but not really. <laughs> you, you did yeah. well, but you yeah. did well getting to pick up the phone, Nick. Um, to be fair, I left him his call and he rang me straight back. So fair, fair, fair dues to him. And we, we had a, a very pleasant conversation. But understandably, he doesn't want to get, um, dig himself in any pur <laughs> perjure himself anymore if this thing's got to go to an inquiry. Anyway, Galapan Deschamps was extremely good yesterday, um, showing a, a remarkable um, level of of resolution and powerful galloping to submit his rivals in the Savile's chase, Lydia. Uh, having seen that and then having seen the previous two defeats and remembering Cheltenham, are you starting to build a picture of who he is now, apart from very, very good? Well, I think you will remember and, and maybe podcast listeners will as well. I've, I'm a huge fan of this horse and have always been a massive fan of, of this horse. He's always been a huge talent. In his early days, he needed managing and trammeling because he was overly exuberant and wanted to attack so much that they were wise to run him in, in the turners rather in the longer race when he was a novice. Last season, they'd clearly taught him to go through his races in a much more tractable style. And then it seemed that 
maybe he'd become a little bit too subdued. I think he was, A, feeling the effects of a tough Gold Cup at Punchestown when he was beaten by Fast or Slow, but also the big three in that race, Envoy Allen and uh, Brave Man's Game alongside Gallop Indichon, got racing a long way out. Fast or Slow wasn't able to go with them and he was able to pick them off late on. And then I think the seasonal debut was a case of him being rusty. He wasn't attacking his jumps properly um, and it being an inadequate trip. I mean, although t- Gallop Indichon has got great tactical speed for a horse that stays three miles two and a half furlongs so thoroughly uh, I do think that now as he's got older he 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 is more of a stayer and less of a two and a half mile horse and fast or slow might, might be a little bit more might be a little bit more um, versatile or he was just a little bit more ready for the seasonal debut. This time around, the difference was marked straight away. A positive ride from Paul Townend straight away. He jumped, he attacked the first really nicely. Paul remarked on it afterwards in interview. He got in, sort of stuttered into the third and fourth, but after that, he was particularly fluent. It might be relevant, I think, and this keys into your interview with Martin Brassel yesterday about the ground and where the horses raced. We had that big field handicap on the Wednesday, so there was lots of chewed up ground and no fresh ground according to Martin for the Savills chase the feature chase of the week Paul Townend kept a very wide course on Galloping Deschamps others to keep a very wide course were Capodano who seemed to run above himself made fewer mistakes than usual uh, barring the second last um, Appreciate It who was banged there until his stamina gave out entering entering the straight they both had wide courses as well and Conflated who was the title holder going into this he kept a hard inside course under Sam Ewing and he was utterly legless when he barely managed to raise himself out of the ground uh, over the last fence and then seated, seated Sam as a result. So there might have been a little bit of an impact on where they raced. Jerry Colomb raced more towards the centre inside. He wasn't as wide as Galloping Deschamps but that doesn't and also the other thing about Jerry Colomb which was his habit that you saw after the Dan Royal chase is that he doesn't get away from his fences with the alacrity that Galloping Deschamps does. Uh, if you have a look I think it was the 11th and it's certainly three out. Compare the two of them just straight between each other and you see the difference in the way that they get away from their fences. But all of that doesn't really add up to a 23 length thumping of Jerry Colomb by Galloping Deschamps and essentially this is the the Gold Cup winner who is absolutely back and I think who had excuses for his previous two runs. Uh, I tested Brian Atchison, the owner of Jerry Colomb's patience last week with the where's Jerry going to run routine and the weather forecasting. Uh, He sent me a nice message yesterday uh, and it said, um, I was going to slag you about being the new Michael Fish, but when I saw the going was soft, I decided it would have been an unnecessarily cheap shot. Uh, he also said, Jerry lost nothing today for me uh, in my head. We were beaten by the best horse in training. I've been saying the same for two years. He's a machine, mm. and I actually love him because fate cheated him in the Turners. Mm. And, of course, he was the beneficiary, wasn't That's he? That's a great response. Yeah, so uh, good response. Sometimes you just have to say that they were too good. Uh, a bit like Constitution Hill and uh, Ile Francais at Kempton the previous day. Uh, talking of Kempton the previous day, or the previous, I don't know, where, where the hell are we? Somewhere between Christmas and New Year, Boxing Day. Uh, something, I did, something I didn't notice because I didn't see coverage of Kempton. I only saw the races, uh, the parade for the King George. Yeah, it was a bit of a farce, and I just want to to mention this. Only six runners, and two of them, uh, Brave Man's Game and Shishkin, were able to to duck the parade. And these days, parades have, compared to what they used to be, it, it seems to be deemed by connections as to be far more optional as to whether you take part in a parade than it did previously. You can uh, apply to the stewards to ask to uh, 
to to miss a parade where the argument can be made that it might compromise the welfare of the horse the jockey or the handler um but it it seems to me and this is purely anecdotal it seems to me that this is happening more often than it did certainly pre-covid when parades were abandoned because there were no crowds wrongly in my opinion because that's forgetting tv audiences and also the basic point about parades which is they are a, a test of the whole horse the temperament is is part as a key part of that particularly on the flat i would argue given that you're wanting to be um breeding from from these horses you know having a sound temperament and being able to pass the test of crowds and noise and the ceremony beforehand is a key part of what makes a top class racehorse um so i think it was, it was wrong that um, i understand the reasons why parades were dropped during covid you know it was a, co a concern about increased transmission but the arguments that were made around it i fundamentally disagreed with um, i would hope that um, you know, in this brave new world that we're going to step into as of New Year's Day, that we uh, that parades and the paying public at Kempton, for example, are taken much more seriously and are given their um, their sight of horses parading beforehand. And we were talked about this comes back to the level playing field. You know, you could argue that those two horses gained an advantage over their four rivals by not going through an element of the pre-race process that th those other rivals did. Hmm. You mentioned New Year's Day. That's the first of the 170 Premier fixtures, isn't it, at Cheltenham? Far too many of them, aren't there? I mean, what, how, how can you premierise? Right. Basically, yeah. it's the ITV Ag schedule, isn't it? I agree with that. But I, I, if you're going to have, if, say you had 40, I don't know, I guess this might be one of them. Um, it, it would be one of them. Yeah, okay. So there's five races on ITV as well, ITV1, or the main channel, as they like to call it, but ITV. Um, and the entries are 16 these are these are not declarations obviously these are just five day entries 16 10 13 in a 0 to 150 handicap chase oh god 10 in a novices limited handicap chase eight 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 entries in the new year's day handicap chase two and a half miles that's entries i mean eight eight I'm beginning to sound like a broken record. 15 aren't I? in the handicap hurdle, 12 in, weirdly, 12 in the rail keel, including Bob Ollinger. Well, Ampere Pass isn't going to run. Um, and uh, and then 20 in the in the junior bumper. I'm going to sound like a broken record. And uh, uh, some people might suggest that this is my journalistic hobby horse, but I'm just saying what I see as a, somebody who uh, loves horse racing and can see what the problem is and and everybody else seems to re realize what the problem is but it seems to be so far pretty much entirely absent from the industry strategy uh it's the horses stupid <laughs> we don't have sufficient horses and we need to address that and even just starting to address that if we need to address it right now because unless we actually address that it's going to take 10 15 20 years to even scratch the surface of this and yet that's not where everybody's looking the the deck chairs are being rearranged you need the horses to pull the cart before you paint the cart at the moment we're going to have a lovely um, partially painted cart on the 1st of January but not enough horses to pull it one horse will be doing something else uh, as of next week, and that is Frodon, winner of £1.1 million, but so much more. Uh, winner of the King George, 
winner of the Ryanair, winner of any number of chases round Cheltenham, but also winner of the, the nation's hearts for his enduring relationship with his rider, Bryony Frost, with whom he will spend retirement at home, uh, ho- her home in Devon with his former co- uh, stable companion, Black Corton. And I think they called this about spot on because it was only on his penultimate run that he ran really well. Yeah, I, I, I agree with that. I, I've been writing analysis of uh, the King George for uh, Road to Cheltenham. Before you told me this news, uh, I'd written that uh, Frodon just isn't up to this level. And, you know, his trainer is a past master at, at finding opportunities for horses like this that you feel are exposed and everybody knows what they are. And yet still managing to find those opportunities, it would have to be at a lower handicap grade and that he is still operating to a very high level, which he certainly is. I mean, his jumping was really good, particularly on the first circuit. He was attacking his fences in his usual style at Kempton. He is still capable of... Of running to a very high level as you've mentioned he's just been third um, off a mark of 158 in the Badger Beer handicap chase however when you have a a CV like Frodon when this horse has uh, meaning to the nation and as you've mentioned the partnership with Bryony Fox has has meaning to racing fans that is so huge why would you want to pursue a a, a uh, beyond the point where you feel that he could, you are showing him at, at his best. And, you know, whilst I, I'm not an advocate of, of horses um, being prematurely retired because these are athletes. They are used to being part of a busy working life. And many horses can, like humans, can be quite miserable in, in retirement as compared to being part, having an active part to play um, on, on, in the everyday as part of a busy, active stable. But it sounds like Fredon's going to have an excellent home alongside Black Horton uh, with Bryony Frost. And I think this is at the, the right and happy ending at the right time. Can we talk about uh, the televised betting adverts in Ireland and a, a really significant intervention from Mihal Martin on this that that suggests that that the game's up, isn't it, for for those who who want to carry on putting betting advertising on on TV channels in Ireland? Yes, he's the Tunistra or Deputy Prime Minister um, and at a media briefing in the government buildings just before Christmas, and this is reported in the Irish Independent on Wednesday by um, Philip Ryan, he rode in support of the Junior Justice Minister James Brown, who's drafted the government's legislation banning televised betting adverts between 5.30am and 9pm, uh, and that's obviously pretty much the entire time that horse racing is televised. Now, uh, Mikhail has said he doesn't believe that the government's ban on TV will result in job losses in the sport. Um, he, um, Mr Brown uh, has already said that there'd be no exemption uh, for the two channels, Racing TV and Sky Sports Racing, um, to be able to show um, adverts, even though they've said it's going to be prohibitively costly to be able to put out uh, two inputs, essentially one for Britain, one for Ireland, and that they would also be um, have a dramatic reduction in their advertising revenue. Uh, Mr. Brown has said that no exemption will be possible because it would give the two channels a monopoly on gambling advertising. And interestingly, he said that um, this is Mihail um, Martin said. Um, I think James Brown has worked very diligently and effectively in producing a very comprehensive piece of legislation to his credit. He has a lot of respect across the Oireachtas in respect to this. I don't believe the fears of horse racing, that is, will be realised. 
Um, I read in an, an article in which James sets out very clearly the arguments as to why he believes some of the fears that are being articulated will not be realised. He then goes on to refer to the Economic and Social Research Institute, who estimates that about 130,000 people are problem gamblers. The problem with gambling is that it can destroy families overnight. People lose their homes. It can have very, very traumatic impacts on families. So the bill reflects the seriousness of the situation and the seriousness of gambling addiction. And I believe there are ways of dealing with some of the issues that people have raised. I don't believe those fears, though, will be realised. Um, he's pointed out that the legislation doesn't ban the presence of trackside betting, the use of trackside gambling ads and the sponsorship of jockeys, colours and races by betting companies. I mean, I would say that there is a, a degree of um, complacency about Irish racehorse, uh, Irish racing and breeding, which he said, you know, is uh, among the best in the world. It is, but I would advise him to look a little bit deeper, and that does key into what we were earlier talking about, the number of entries in Britain, admittedly, but this is an Anglo-Irish sport, jump racing, and, you know, what's happening in Britain will have knock-on effects in Ireland and vice versa. Uh, so I would advise that, uh, you know, you need to look at the sales, you need to look at the number of horses at the highest level, uh, you need to go a little bit deeper before pronouncing that all is absolutely fine and nothing like, nothing will be affected by these moves of government. And also that reference to the Economic and Social Research Institute, um, they grabbed the headlines in October when saying that there was 10 times the number of problem gamblers than thought in Ireland um, via their um, research. Um, there is some dissonance, and this applies in Britain with the Gambling Commission and also in Ireland with the ESRI, about how to measure the negative negative impact on gambling of gambling on society and it very much depends on your perspective on how you define a problem gambler what problem gambling is um and uh whether the 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 survey that you are the 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 survey size the sample size the people who are responding to your um questions are a, a fair representative of what gambling means to everybody as opposed to what gambling means to people who might be having a problem i don't know have you ever gone through those questions about us that ask you whether you are a problem gambler nick yeah yeah um how many yeses <laughs> honestly no i i think i'm okay Um, well, I mean, I know I'm OK and I've got three yeses there, which would ha put me, which says that I'm a, a, a moderate risk. I'm at moderate risk. Uh, one of the questions the, is, the, if the you lose on one day, would you go back and try and win the next day? Well, yes, yes. Um, I, isn't there isn't there a question about your about impulse as well? And mm. yeah. And whether it, it causes you stress and anxiety. Well, you know, newsflash, life causes you stress, stress and, and anxiety. You know, gambling also, you know, I'm, I'm not belittling. I think regular listeners of the podcast will know. I'm in no way um, belittling uh, problems, problem gambling. And I, I prefer, you know, addict people who are addicted to gambling and, and those that have negative impacts on people in, in no way. But at the same time, there are people who gain a great deal of enjoyment from it, who have it as a hobby and uh, are, are, are able to combine it with their lives largely happily. And sometimes it might cause them stress. Sometimes they might be in a bad mood about it. But, you know, as I'm meticulously writing down every single, when I was betting very seriously every single bet i ever had you're damn right if i lose one day i'm going to try and go with it back the following day that was the point those few sentences you said about sometimes it might cause you stress but, but it sounded like making this podcast i think i'm, I'm just addic <laughs> addicted to doing this uh, a bit like a bit like frankie dottori it seems is addicted to to riding horses uh, it just in case you were wondering what, what he's up to he he rode seven 
uh, on the opening day at Santa Anita. He had three seconds, one of which failed by a nose to win one of the grade ones. And he rolls around again tonight, Friday night, the 29th. And he's got one, two, three, four, five, six rides in the nine races. And he's riding one for Mike McCarthy, one for Mike Pipey, two for Mark Glatt, one for John Sadler, and one for Bob Baffert. So he's uh, he's definitely been kept up to his work by his agent, that's for sure. Project going well from the sound of things. He must be looking across at the weather at Leopardstown and Kempton over the past few days and thinking, oh, I wish I was back in England or Ireland. I'm sure that's exactly what he's thinking. <laughs> when it when it comes to who's going to get on in spiral for the lockinge or whatever or the Queen Anne, then might be a different story. Um, have you got something for me for today? I have. We should talk about today's racing, shouldn't well, we? Well, we should really. Yeah, I mean, we should talk. We started this whole podcast by saying, "Would it be State Man or Ampere Pass?" The race might be run by the time it's published. <laughs> Um, I think in this ground, I'd still prefer Stateman, but I, I re remain a massive Ampere Pass fan, and I think he will have a game on a quicker surface. I, I, I wouldn't be giving up on him. I'd be looking for a good performance. I'd be looking for him stepping forward from um, the Hatton's Grace, but I suspect Stateman will hold the upper hand here today. Yeah, what I really hope is that if Ampere Pass runs really well but is defeated, there isn't a defeatist attitude about yeah. when he then is campaigned. Exactly. And that, and that connections still are still try and build him towards being a champion hurdle horse. Exactly. Exactly. So uh, I 100% agree with that. Um, there's also a really good mare's two and a half mile hurdle in which you've got uh, Risk Bell, who seemed to be a much improved horse, the four year old there for Willie Mullins, um, up against Tell Me Something Girl, switching back from uh, fences, which she's not very good at, to hurdles. Uh, that's going to be interesting. It is. So, have you got uh, a bit of wagering advice? I do have. I do have. Uh, and it rolls around the Neville Hotel's novice chase. This should be really competitive. I do like Favori de Chamdu, but I think the race rather fell apart behind him. In Grange Clare West, I remain to be convinced about him stringing together a lot of good runs. Florian Porter will be happier going uh, this way around, but I like Corbett's cross. I think thought he's took a, a big step forward over fences last time when winning at Ferry House. We know that he stays and thrives at, at three miles, and I think he can win the Grade 1 Neville Hotel's Novice Chase at 1.45 for Emmett Mullins and Mark Walsh. Emmett Mullins to go with... Uh... Patrick Mullins, Danny Mullins, and Willie Mullins, all of whom... This show is not thrown together, is it, Nick? In this podcast. How do you fit four Mullins in a mini? <laughs> well, uh, today, uh, two in the front and one in the back, and, and the other one, one on in another the, car. One on, one on the roof? <laughs> no, no, the other one's in another car. <laughs> but still trying to get in. <laughs> That's it for now. We'll be back after the weekend. Bye-bye. You've been listening to Nick Luck Daily, brought to you in association with Fitzdares, the Racehorse Owners Association, and Thoroughbred Racing Commentary. Mm -hmm.